Hi, I'm George Techmanchop here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson. Easton podcast time, Steve. And, you know, I'll tell you, we, we do this every year. It's the wrap up of the outdoor season. This one has been a spectacular season, um, culminating, of course, with the Hermosillo World Cup final. A hot event. 112 degrees, 44 and a half Celsius. So they had the good sense to have it at night, basically. Which looked like it played a little bit of a factor, you know, in uh, in the results because there was archers that they came out on the stage and they were not zeroed in. Right? Yeah. The, the yeah, lighting, lighting is all over the place when you're talking yeah. about, you know, you were shooting during the day and now you're coming out on a stage under lights at night. Absolutely not um, going to give you a, a proper zero, particularly, I would say, I'm going to say this, particularly for a recurve, but what's your perspective on a compound shooter? Well, with a compound... Anytime you're getting a light source from a different angle, it will shift things a little bit. Yeah. I understand, like, with a recurve, you know, it can change how the string blurs. Yeah. You know, I've heard people, like Mackenzie Brown, I remember talking about if you're, you know, if you're lighting, just anything outside of natural light can really affect, if your string is too crisp, can be a problem. Absolutely. If it's too true. blurry, it can be a problem. Yep. You know, if it's too dark, you can't pick up on it. Yep. Your pupil problem. gets bigger, it changes your lefts and rights. Yeah, you even see that back in the day when we used to shoot the four feet, of, the four distance feet around. By the time you got to thirty meters, the sun would typically be lower, your pupil would be bigger, and you'd end up with a slight windage change. Hmm. Saw it all the time. So, no doubt, it was a challenging thing. But uh, you know, another spectacle, another great Mexican crowd in Hermosillo, just like last year. Yep. It was a pretty cool looking setup they had oh, there. Yeah, for sure. The, the little, they, they the little Sonoran desert they put out in right? front of the archers. A little xeriscaping there. Right? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I was um, very happy to see a good turnout for that event, and I feel like the archers got the show they were hoping for to finish the season, you know, from the standpoint of a shouting crowd and all that sort of thing. Yeah, now they've doubled down on uh, Mexico back to back years. Where do they go now? Maybe know? they should just stay in Mexico for the final. Because you're guaranteed to have a good crowd in Mexico. It doesn't seem like you get a huge crowd anywhere else, but for sure you seem to get one in Mexico. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it, I don't know this firsthand, but it gets the impression they bend over backwards to help put on that event down there. That's some guessing why they're willing to go there, you know, twice in a row. Just they've got a good organizing company who's putting that on and, and making a, a good event out of it for, Look, for both the, the spectators, the, you know, World Archery and the athletes. Yeah. The uh, season, of course, started for the World Cup in Antalya, Turkey. Um, we, you know, had that event, and then that was back in April. From there, it went to Shanghai for the first time since the uh, <coughs> since that, and that was in the month of May. In uh, Medellin, Colombia, was in June. Paris, France, just last month in uh, August, and uh, it just seems like it it went quickly, you know. Did kind of blow by us. Yeah. Um, at the same time, it, it felt like a really long summer again. I don't know. I, I wasn't traveling around, so maybe that's why at times it felt like a long summer. You know, when you're on the move, those days go by fast. When you're at home, not, yeah. not traveling around, competing, you know. Yeah. But like you said, it seems like just yesterday we were lining up for that first event of the year and now it's over and done yeah compound was on saturday as usual and compound saturday consisted of uh most of the usual suspects i would say right you had some of the very best guys in there uh there weren't too many surprises we've been keeping an eye on folks like matthias fullerton all season uh, since last year in fact when he was doing pretty well in the world cup kind of did not have the greatest year so far this year i would say that uh when you consider, you know, what his match win percentage was overall, Matthias was one of the lower guys, you know, from the standpoint of the, the people who showed up in Mexico. But uh, Matthias was able to beat Prathamas Jokar from India in a shoot-off. And that makes him the first Dane since Martin Damsbo 10 years ago to win the World Cup final. So congratulations to young Matthias Fullerton. But oh, interesting thing, uh, everybody except one medalist and all gold medalists shot X-10s and X-10 Pro Tours. Yeah, just the one silver medal was it, huh? Yeah. And, Everything uh, else, 15 out of 
Sorry, 11 out of 12. 30 out of 32 total shooters and 11 out of 12 medals Yep. uh, with Easton Arrows, which is pretty cool. Um, That gives Easton a 97 point something percent win rate in World Cup Finals, which is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I I think that that's a testimony to uh, a number of things. But um, this is Matthias Fullerton's first individual World Cup medal of any sort. So doing this... Uh, he never had an individual medal at all? No. Uh, huh. His first individual World Cup medal, and it was his 10th try. So he Might got be it. his first... I'm trying to think of any podiums he's had. I mean, he's a very competitive shooter and obviously a great talent. Yeah. He's been close a lot, but yep. yeah, finally got a breakthrough and, and got a win. Yep. Hard work, and uh, he never fell behind in the uh, three matches that he shot. He, he dominated all of them, so... It was... I watched, you know, I watched all the matches, and I told Linda, like, this is a, this is, if they get any sort of reasonable conditions, it's a game of perfection, just like indoor. And I don't think they had the best of conditions. I saw enough wind movement to cause a miss here or there. Sure. Uh, Enough wind movement just to create an aiming issue here or there. And when it's inconsistent, that can be, uh, you know, as big a factor as when it's steady. But guys are blasting 150s like it's their job. Yeah, including it is. including yeah. Matthias, who had a 150 in his second match. He uh, first beat Joseph Posansky from Slovakia, who's been uh, doing pretty well in the outdoor season, of course. And um, yeah, had a lot of two. talk about how he's 47 years old and all that. They were talking about his age beforehand. And, they were. You know, I didn't realize he was 47. So yeah. Well, it's a remarkable performance from him anyway, but uh, for sure, Matthias was uh, dominant in that particular match. And then in the gold medal match, um, you know, no slouch that he was up against. Mr. Jokar from India, with his first season on the tour, he uh, won gold at the second stage in Shanghai. Um, uh, you know, clearly a match play kind of guy because his, his qualification rounds haven't been you know, through the roof, right? He was like 33rd in Shanghai in the qualification round, but he was able to uh, to win that one. Um, but Fullerton, you know, he dropped a 150 on Abhishek Virma in the semifinals. It doesn't give you any room for error. So. No, on his teammate. <clears throat> and then, uh, see, Jokar did the same to Mike, right? It was one, yeah. 150, 149. Yeah. Just crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's what it takes. Uh, he actually... You know, um, saw that reverse a little bit, you could say, because Mike Schlusser um, had to beat Verma in the bronze medal match, and Mike shot a perfect score. Yeah. 150-149. Yep. So, hammer and tong for the compound guys. And your final uh, ranking for the compound men, uh, with all the compound men shooting Pro Tours, uh, I don't think there were any X10 shooters in there. They all shot X10 Pro Tours, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe Mike Schlusser shot the... Mike shot a regular X10? Yeah, Mike shot the regular X10 with some off the back. You had Matthias, Prathamus Jokar, Mike Schlusser, one, two, and three. Abhishek Virma was fourth. Sawyer Sullivan of the United States, talented young guy. He uh, ended up fifth. Jimmy Lutz of the United States, finishing sixth. Joseph Bosansky of Slovakia was seventh. And Miguel Becerra of Mexico, who was uh, brought in as the home country entry, uh, finished eighth. So pretty good stuff for the compound men. And um, a little later in the show, we're going to talk about something that is probably on the minds of some of those compound men and and many other compound shooters right now, as well as recurve shooters. And that's getting ready for the transition indoor season. We'll we'll touch on that later on the show. But... You gotta, you gotta just give props to one lady at this event in the compound women's yeah. category. If uh, if people were doubting whether Sarah Lopez is still the goat, <laughs> she served up a dose of "Here I Am." Yeah, there's you know, there's uh, a lot of chatter. A few people on the internet trying to dog her a little bit for you know the goat talk and all that, but. Eight World Cup final championships now. Six in a row. Yeah, who, who's better? You can't you know? pick. And I would say in history, in women's compound history, who has been better? Who has been more yeah. consistent? Who has brought it at the critical moment? 
people will say walking. like, oh well, she she's not uh, as good indoor. I'm like, well, she's got a Vegas nine hundred and she shoots indoor right. one week a year. Right. Like right. one week a year. Right. They don't do that game in Latin America. They but, shoot outside. That's it. Because they can. <laughs> yes. They don't play indoor archery. So So it's an she, incredible she shows up at Vegas and that's it. It's just incredible. Eight World Cup titles, six in a row. Lopez has been pretty consistent this season. I mean, she hasn't been great, right? She's been up there though. She's been consistently good. Just hasn't cracked, you know, just been unlucky or hasn't cracked through for a win at the right time, but Yeah. Like you said, she's been she's been good enough to win them all. Yeah. She had a fourth place in Paris and she was second in Antalya and in Medellin. So all she had to do was just do a tiny bit better in the final and she sure did. Yeah, so, got herself in, and well, good luck. Got to win three matches. Okay, yes, that's, yeah. that's uh, a lot of a lot of betting people would smartly put their money on Sarah in that situation. Our friend Braden Galantine's wife Tanya was able to take the silver medal, and then we had uh, the local favorite Daphne Quintero of Mexico, yeah, taking the bronze medal against Korean archer Cho Su Ah. Um, so that was uh, that was your podium for the compound women, and Sarah Lopez once again proving something that she didn't have to prove. You know, I was watching uh, Cho Su Ah, and I remember watching her match that she won gold in Shanghai. Right. And in Shanghai, she didn't give any expression. I don't think she said a word. You know, she looked like. I don't know. I don't even know if she got excited when she won. She just looked very steady, completely flatlined. Right. And I don't think it was. I don't think that's necessarily the ideal way to approach it. And I'm gonna guess that. A, I'm gonna guess that she worked with a sports psychologist, and they told her go out and figure out how to enjoy yourself, because her and her coach at this event were laughing, joking. I think she was trying to stay relaxed and have a good time, and she had a really good performance because yeah. of it. Some people might be wondering, but it was not Rio Wild that was coaching her. It was one of the Korean coaches at this particular event, right? Uh, yeah, I guess it was. I didn't really pay attention to that, but yeah, it. Uh, yeah, it's just interesting to see the difference because, like I said, I, I took note of it the the first time she was out there. She looked kind of terrified. She freaking won the tournament, but she looked kind of you know not in a place of ease well and maybe you know when you consider how hard it is to make a korean team and then you find yourself on an international stage maybe for the first time uh, that's yeah. some stuff to adjust to yeah. yeah and my my guess is uh that this was really good experience for her if she can continue making those teams she'll have even better performances going forward in the finals but your top shooter sarah lopez the goat from colombia Second place was Tanya Galantine of Denmark. Daphne Quintero of Mexico was third. Cho Su Ah of Korea was fourth. You had Aditi Swami, the world champion from this year, mm-hmm. from India in fifth place. Ella Gibson of GBR was sixth. Jyothi Venom of India was seventh. And American Liko Areola of the United States was number eight in her debut at the World Cup final. Yeah, it's tough to go to that event. And I would imagine tough to go to that event and shoot one match and be done you know 15 arrows and, and it's over at least you didn't have to buy the ticket right but I'm talking for anybody who's sure. out in the quarterfinals not, not just Lico, but anybody um, you know you want to go and, and find a rhythm and and you'll you'll literally never get to take that stage again you know like they're not going back there anytime that particular soon. one yeah yeah so I won't be surprised if we see her again next year but you know no I won't be surprised if we see Lico again but you'll always think man i I'm kind of mad I didn't get more out of that travel and that trip. And I, I would be arrogant to say that I know her well enough to know this, but I suspect she took this as a learning experience, and I suspect she's going to apply what she learned, and she's going to yeah. be even stronger for her indoor season coming around. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she's on a trajectory, and a lot of these, a lot of these women we're watching right now are they are not near the peak of their careers, I don't think. Oh, you notice that, that it's a younger crowd for yeah. the most part, right? I mean, it was definitely, um, let's put it this way, Joseph Bosansky stands out in his, 
if I were joking, I'd say in his dotage, but that's not fair at all. He's still a young guy. But, you know, um, look at the age now as we, as we talk about that same subject. Look at the age group for recurve. You got Penny Healy, you got Lim Sihyun, you got Casey Kaufold, you have Alejandro Valencia, you have Kang Che Young, you have Peng Chiao Mao of Chinese Taipei, Michelle Kropin of Germany, and Lisa Barbalan of France. Every one of these women is 40 years away from Social Security or more. <laughs> Say, I, I don't know, it's not my business to go look up their ages, but. I was giving you a general trend here. Yeah, I would guess that Alejandra is the eldest. Yeah, for sure. And she's um, and she's shooting better than ever yeah. right now. Yeah, of all these women, Alejandra as uh, you know, I mean, uh, we saw her in 2012 at the Olympic Games in London. Um, you know, we have a lot of talent in those eight names that I just rattled off. But uh, you know, I was I was looking at this as maybe we would see Lim Sihyun as your standout for this event. And maybe Casey Caulfield had a really good opportunity here. And then I thought, well, you got to look at the Destroyer. Kang, the Destroyer. You got to do that. You got to look at Michelle Kropin. Yeah. There, I mean, there was. that's a hard one to pick, I think, because yeah. there has been more parity in women's recurve yeah. than in the past. Yes, the Koreans are still generally at the top of the heap, but there have been others getting through them in match play and uh this season especially a lot of parody so just kind of that was a tough one to call i don't know that i would have picked king but i don't know that i wouldn't have picked king we didn't do a prediction show we didn't but uh yeah. we did if we had done one king would have been on our short list yeah she's been due for a big win for i don't know four or five years now yeah. <laughs> it seems like she and she probably has a world cup win in there that i'm forgetting about but uh, no, 19 Okay, yeah, so champion in nineteen. Yeah, she. Uh, if I remember right, she really came on about twenty eighteen. That's when she started shooting really well. I think she set the world record at that point. So the first time um, that we really took note of her probably might have been seventeen at the Universiad, and in fact, she was up against Alejandra Valencia in the twenty seventeen Summer Universiad. Hmm. So, kind of a rematch now. Uh, six years later. Yeah. Um, but big win, 6-2. It becomes kind of a, a tough thing when you uh, have that much up on the... Uh, I mean, shoot-offs are what cl- crowds really like, shoot-offs. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, she beat the hometown girl, Alejandra Valencia, became the Hyundai Archery World Cup champion. Um, but you can imagine the crowd. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and, and Alejandra, I'm sure that... Uh, that atmosphere was intense. No, and you get to a gold medal final, nothing to sneeze at. You know, that's a really good uh, showing for her. And she had that same, she took second place at world championships as well. Yep. So I was talking with Linda about it, and I said, she's having, you know, probably one of the better seasons of any archer, not Korean, um, in the last decade or more. And she's doing it without the support, correct me if I'm wrong, of a pretty strong federation right now. Things are kind of still up a little bit. I don't know there. It seems like they've seems like they've got something in place. Yeah. With uh, Juan Rene Serrano. Was, okay. Is actually, I think okay, he's the head helpful. of the, the federation. But, you know, I mean, there was a time there when they were decertified. And, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it was just chaos right yeah i don't know what they had going on but it was it was a thing i think i think there was i don't know i don't want to even speak to it because i'm probably wrong but i know that i've seen you're only mexican juan renee (laughs) yeah juan renee's been been uh seemingly at the head of the federation right now if if it's just a you know interim thing or not i don't know but like you said it's been a bit of turmoil there so um then you look back you know and i was i I was thinking about that. I was like, she's had a really good season. And then I thought, like, Aida had a, a really good season as well. Mexico has produced some of the better the better uh, recurve archers on this side of the globe, at least. They, they've really done well. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, it's been four years since, uh, since Kang the Destroyer won this event. Uh, so I think that... Uh, 
things worked out well for her, giving her momentum for the Asian games that are about to take place. I wish I had a name like The Destroyer, you know? As opposed to The Big Cat? Yeah. All right. I don't well, know how that came to be. It's all good. So the other podium place, the bronze medal, went to Lim Si-hyun, who beat Casey Koffold in straight sets in the bronze medal match. Um, so Kang, you know, just dominant through all, throughout. She beat Penny Healy from GBR, 7-3. She beat Casey, 7-1 in the semifinal. Um, Alejandra had been down. Uh, she was down from a 4-2 and then turned it around against Chinese Taipei's Peng Mao and then needed a tiebreaker to beat Lim in the semifinals. But uh, you know what? Valencia started out with a 30 in the first end in that final, and it looked good for her. But then a couple eights, and then third set she had a six. Kang was steady all the way through. She only had one arrow out of the gold. Hmm. So, you know, that second Hyundai Archery World Cup final crown was well-earned by Kang Chae-yun. Alejandro Valencia was second. Lim si Hyun of Korea was third. Casey Koffold of the United States in the, uh, you know, the heartbreak saddle is always fourth, right? It's yeah. always tough to be fourth. Um, but Casey will be back, of course. Peng Chiamao of Chinese Taipei was fifth. Penny Healy of GBR was sixth. Michelle Kropen of Germany was seventh. Lisa Barbalan of France, number eight. You know, I'm like the last person to think that everyone should get a trophy, but uh, I believe in wrestling, fourth place goes on the podium as well you know what I kind of like that you made the final you made the big show you know give them a little I've even seen that at events sometimes you yeah. might have seen it where uh, the fourth place person's pulled up onto the podium by the top three in some events I've seen that in the university ad for sure it would be a thing you yeah. know I, I would not be opposed to hey you're a finalist yeah you're a finalist congratulations you yeah. made yeah. you did something you know yeah and, and Casey's you know Casey's performing the best we've had since Mac retired, for sure. In case he was already up and coming at that time when Mac was shooting, so. Yeah, she's she's been consistent, hitting finals this year. Yeah. World Championship final. Yeah. One in Paris. Beat Ann San again. Yeah, she's kind of got her number a little bit. You know bit. what? Yeah, I think so. So. So, you know what? We'll see what happens uh, going into the season. But, you know, indoors are rolling around pretty soon. Yeah, what are all these people going to do for indoor? Because I know that... Mm, we'll, thinking, we'll get into that momentarily. We'll just get through the compound well, or the recurve. Yeah, I was specifically talking recurve. We'll we'll touch on that too. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. Marcus Almeida, it's the mustache, dude. I'm telling you right now. Yeah, that mustache has ignited powers within him that came from the depths of his soul, the fire in his belly. He's the great mustache. Yeah, yeah. that. You talk about a just a good guy. And yeah. we we talked about him on an episode not too long ago, how you know, he came on so strong, got really thrown into stardom in this sport. Then he had just that grind couple of years where most people will probably go, Hey, I was competitive, I was making finals, he made the World Cup final I think in twenty fifteen. Then he didn't do anything, you know, noteworthy for two, three years. Most people would bounce after that. Like, they'd get through Rio Olympics and, you know, maybe hit Tokyo Olympics and then be be over and done with. But he's now peaking in his career. So he found himself up against top-seed Korean Lee Woo-seok in the gold medal match. And these two guys have got some history. I'll just cut to the chase. Nine years on from his first World Cup medal now, right? He took silver at the Archery World Cup final in Lausanne nine mm-hmm. years ago. Um, and then Marcus was up against Lee after losing to him in the semifinals at the fourth stage in Paris. Hmm. And they also met nine years ago at the Nanjing Youth Olympic Games where they had a final and Marcus didn't win. So they've been they've been battling a little bit. They've over been the battling. Years. I did not realize this. Yes, I didn't either, but uh History tells us a number of things, and one of those things is that uh, Marcus, I'm telling you, man, it's the mustache. It's got to be the mustache. All right, joking aside, though, clearly he's been working hard. You've mentioned him several times this season. Um, Gary over at Easton, he's been he's been talking about Marcus, you know, as, <laughs> as a, a, a guy that he's been following. And I'll tell you that I think that um, 
I'm expecting big things from him going into Paris next year. If he can maintain whatever it is he's doing. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, hopefully he's not like peaking at the wrong time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there can be an extended peak where like a guy comes, kind of comes into this is who I am and I'm this good. Then they roll that way for, you know, they don't come, the, the floor rises with them, is what I'm saying. They're not going to be a whole lot worse than they are and they might get a little bit better than what they are, but that's kind of about where they're going to perform. You know, like a Kim Woo Jin right now. He's been awesome, obviously, for, for a long know, time. Over a decade. And, uh, but within that, he still has, you know, some, some peaks and some valleys and like performance, right? But, um, you know, hopefully this is just kind of a, for Marcus, hopefully this is kind of just who he is now. This is an average day. And, you know, he's going to be better at times and not going to get a whole lot worse at times. And now, that's I, that. I will point out that Marcus didn't have the easiest time getting to that final. I mean, you know, uh, he did beat Mr. Lee by um, 6-4. But getting there, that was not easy because there was a guy named Mauro Nespoli in his way. Now, Morrow really made it difficult for him in the uh, semifinal. You had a situation where um, Nespoli brought it back and forth twice and pushed Marcus to a shoot-off. Yeah. And it was simply a matter of closer to center. I think these guys were struggling with that lighting conditions we were talking about because they right. were hitting high and low like crazy. Yeah. You know, eights, high right, high left. Um their, their groups seemed to shift upward. And I think it was lighting or, you know, heat playing a factor. I don't know. Something. Maro Nespoli uh, took the bronze medal over Diraj Bomadavara from India in a tie break. He had a uh, pretty good match against the guy who beat Kim Woo-jin, Mr. Bomadavara. Yeah. He beat Kim Woo-jin 6-2. <laughs> not, not a match we would have predicted. How does that happen, right? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Lee, Lee got revenge. He just took him out, 7-1. Just took him apart. Boom. Yep. Um, you could say that uh, the match between Nespoli and D'Almeida might have been one of the better ones because they, they just were going at it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and then a shoot-off. So, you know, um, I would say that Maro Nespoli has nothing to apologize for in third place. He really has been among the more consistently strong guys for the last couple of years since Tokyo. Yeah, and we talk about, uh, I mean, we talk about age and age and compound, age right. and recurve. Right. You know, Maro's 35. He is uh, considerably older than most of the archers out there. Yeah. And then he's throwing on that fedora. I was about is to that say. that a fedora he's Yeah, got it's on? like that. Yeah, that haberdashery of his is unique. <laughs> he's, he's, trying, like he's trying to assume the grandpa role. Something, I don't know. There's something going on there. He's, he's, he's one of the few people who can put it on and you're not like, I mean, you notice the hat, but you're not like, he looks Somehow like. Somehow he makes it okay. He doesn't seem like he's trying to clown out there. Right. You know, like it seems like he, this is just the hat he wears. Other people, like, if I put that on, they'd be like, you're making a freaking joke out of this. Whereas in his case, it's maybe his lucky hat or something. He can, I don't know. He makes it work. But he's, Marcus he's, Dalmela, your yeah. champion. Lee Wusyuk of Korea, second place. Maro Nespoli of Italy was third. Diraj Boma Davara of India was fourth. Brady Ellison of the United States. I, I, I'm going to say this. Brady actually shot pretty well throughout this whole thing. Can you remind me who knocked him off? I'd have to look back at the bracket. But, okay, yeah. you know, the bottom line is, I mean... You know, he, he didn't shoot badly. Just didn't have the usual, you know, Brady edge that we're used to seeing. Yeah. Similar, Kim Woo-jin, you know, sixth place for Kim Woo-jin. Dan Oleru of Moldova. Uh, and then you had Matthias Grande, the uh, the home Host field nation. guy. And, uh, oh, Morrow beat Brady. Morrow beat Brady. Yeah, Brady shot 28, 28, 29, 28, and lost 6-2. Yeah. That doesn't usually happen. No. That'll no. usually be a... I mean, that might go 5-5, five, five, or you might win 6-4. Just, you know. Could have been the heat. Could have just been something he ate. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it's been a long season. That's the other consideration. Yeah, but you know. four, four ends, 28 or better, and lost 6-2. That's rare. It is not common. He didn't make any big mistakes, I guess is a fair way to put this. Yeah, so let me look at another one. Yeah. Uh, Lee Woo-sok shot 28-29, 28-29. 
and 171. Um, Marcus shot 29, 28, 29, 29, and 162. So, you know, and looking at that, eh, Brady would have he would have been fine in all the other matches as well. But you don't see the usual number of 30s that you tend to see at an event at this level, and I think that goes back to something you brought up earlier, which was the conditions and the lighting. Yeah, I'm not sure recurve archery is. I, th- I think they just haven't shot enough at night to figure it out. No, you know, I, the last tournament where nighttime was a factor that I was involved in was maybe 2016 in Bangkok at the Asia Cup. And it just drove people nuts because it was stadium lighting, but it was coming from behind the, you know, the targets to some degree. It, it just, if you're not used to it, it can create issues. Yeah, and I think it's harder with a recurve than a compound. A yeah. compound, once you get it sighted in, yeah. it's actually probably very good. We are so consistent. at the mercy of how we perceive that strength. Yeah. Yeah. And and like you said, that perception can change with your pupils significantly. And you know you get you get going uh, shooting for three hours in 112 degree heat in the light. Yeah, and you're you're gonna. I mean, dehydration really wrecks the eyes, you know, and and uh, so that's a real thing. Those yeah. eyes are gonna shift over time. If you, yeah. Even if you're hydrated and it changes a little bit, you're gonna change enough. To cause a real problem when you don't have that peep sight to Not aid to you. Not mention what it can do to your focus. You know, I, I just you know, Saturday I had a USPSA match, right, and it was the heat index was higher than I expected, mm-hmm. and I went through three liters of uh, hydration beverage, and I was just unable to focus. It was just so, you know, out of. I just didn't feel comfortable, right, the whole time. It's just annoying. Imagine. Yeah adding another 20 degrees to that yeah no good so maybe pick a somewhat cooler place for your finals maybe I yeah I'm not sure they expected that kind of heat but I don't know I guess it's not far from like Arizona and all that right right but you know one of the women uh, was quoted as saying that she found out that Aramosillo is the world's hottest city which I didn't bother looking up to see if it was true but I'll bet she's not far off. Yeah. If you look at it from an average temperature standpoint. Okay, Hermosillo is directly south of Tucson, probably like five, six hours. Okay, so Tucson's... Pretty hot place. Pretty hot place. And, uh, you know... Hottest city in the world. Uh, They're giving that title to Ethiopia. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, it's got to be somewhere in the Mideast or North Africa or something. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe Saudi Arabia takes the title in one yeah, spot. Yeah, it's got to be. But maybe it was also a factor of, uh, you know, this this hemisphere, right? Or they're, yeah, not counting cities of that size. Or, or North whatever. America. Yeah, there's some stat there. Yeah. Anyhow, it was 112 degrees. doesn't matter what it was any other day. That's what it was the day they competed. So, yeah, your, uh, your hottest cities in the world are, actually, your third hottest city is in Austra- Australia. Uh, where the average high, the average high is 99 degrees. Kuwait City's right up there, too. So, yeah, uh, whoever made that quote that was quoted by WA, not quite accurate. But probably pretty close to accurate for, let's just say, for North America. Yeah, and and maybe for a city of a certain size. Maybe so. Uh, No question it was hot. Everybody had that. It was 112 degrees. Yeah, yeah, that's plenty. All right, so guess what? We're headed into the part of the year when it won't be 112 degrees much anymore. We're headed to the autumnal solstice, or autumnal equinox, excuse me, where our days will start getting shorter in another couple of weeks. So people's minds are starting to shift toward the subject of shooting indoors. What it even crept into my mind today a little bit. Really? Yeah, you know, I was like... Time to get a bow built up. You know, there's something about it. The leaves, by the way, the leaves are starting to change already up in the mountains. Mm. A few selected spots. Um, did 500 miles on the VFR yesterday. and Saw some spots. Saw a few spots. And they were really bright ones, too. I have a feeling the uh, leaf peeping season here in Utah is going to almost make that new Hoyt GMX orange color look <laughs> right at home. Yeah. Anyway. Look at that. I mean, we're in Steve's office, and he's got one here. he's got a bunch of bows in here, and boy, I'll tell you what, 
I bet you wouldn't miss it if I took that one with me. I told you. Walk out the door? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, it would declutter my office a little There's bit. There's an offer. There's an offer. All right. Anyway, um, getting back on subject, though. Indoor arrows, Steve. Where, where do you stand philosophically for, let's start with WA setups, um, which obviously limits us to 23 diameter. Um, going from indoor to outdoor, what's your philosophy right now as you stand from the standpoint of, let's say you're coaching me. What would you tell me to do? Hey, coach, what do you want me to do? I'd probably say the simplest way to go from indoor to outdoor, drop your ORS down a little bit. You're probably going to need to move your peep up a little bit. I have a recurve bow, but okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, I'm not coaching you then. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> I'm the last person you want. Moving on our on the compound side. Yeah, move your peep accordingly. Yeah. Right. And we're not talking much. Get your peep comfortable for 20 yards, 18 meters. Would and you go bigger peep? Would you get rid of the clarifier? What would you do? I so, usually add in a clarifier. Okay. So I don't use one outdoor, but I do use one indoor. Okay. Because you have consistent lighting. Yeah. Um, and no rain. Yeah. And then the peep size, I carry a couple. They'll vary depending on the... Lighting conditions? Yep. Like, like in Neem, I remember going to a smaller peep. Because it's a little darker or because... Yeah, there's there's a little bit of a need for that. And then uh, I'm trying to think if I had to do that anywhere else, but... Vegas? Vegas is just a flat, dull light. Mm-hmm. And the targets don't really get lit up that well. Did you shoot Lancaster last year? I did not, no. But I've shot Lancaster before. Targets are at a slight angle, if I remember right. Because um, they're on, they're like a whitetail target on a, you know, Olympic style. Are they flat stand. or on an angle at Kings of Archery? Kings of Archery, they're on an angle. You're just like me. Yep. Um, so that will di- that will dictate how the target gets lit up, unless there's an overhead light on the target. Like at like Neem, they have an overhead light. They very do. good, very good lighting conditions. So your peep sight is going to be dictated by where you're standing. Okay. Um, so anyhow, carry some peep sizes with you and change according as needed. What do you like to use for a peep, by the way? Is it the? Uh, I use the different interchangeable ones. Which one do you use? The specialty. Archery. Specialty. Yeah. yeah, those have been popular for quite a long time, have they not? Yeah, and they've changed it up again, and I haven't bought the new one, and I'm probably not going to buy the new one. I'm just going to. I don't know. Maybe we'll see. I got to look at it, but um, you know, I got one that makes the hole in the peep the size that I want it to right now. That's probably good enough. So. Yeah, and I've got a whole selection of clarifiers. Usually use a number one or maybe a one and a half or sometimes just a half. It mm-hmm. depends. Mm-hmm. Depends on how I'm feeling. A little blur is not always bad. Um, especially on something like a world archery face that only has the ten ring, which we never shoot anymore. Right. We did that for a little while. Like, I remember going to Neem the first year that was a thing, and it was just that little baby X 10 ring and yep. nothing else in the yellow. That'll freak you out a little bit if you're accustomed to a dot size that I was. Um, and now we go back, and they have the recurve 10 ring as well. So uh, j- just shoot what you want for. So, main two takeaways time. have a variety of peeps to work with what makes you the most comfortable at the time that you're at this particular event, number one. And number two, be prepared for the possibility of. Two different configurations of sure. indoor targets, or yeah, or one, or needing to change dot size on your lens or something like that. Accordingly, so, right? Yeah, I just use a black dot indoors. And what do you think of the folks who have the wipeout black dot, the one that takes out the whole gold? You've seen that? Um, not for me. Not for me either. Yeah, I'd want to peek around that. That's that's what I was getting at. Too small, and you just see a ton of movement. Too big, and you'll you'll want to peek around it. What if you were to focus on that dot instead of focusing on the target? I don't know. I'd have to try it. There's another, you know, there's a lot of theory that it would work really well. Because um, you can change your focus to, I'm going to center this in the red. Right, that's, that's what I'm getting thing. at. Yeah, you can do that. So I'd have to really spend some time with it, but... Tell you what, that would be a bad plan. Yeah. Lancaster. Going yeah, for with the four, or whatever, 12, 12 ring that is. Yeah. yeah, it would be... That would be a tough one. <laughs> I haven't seen anyone with a real great strategy for the 12 ring at Lancaster this no, far. It's, but it's still a novelty as far as I can tell. Yeah, I see people shooting, you know, adjusting their sight. I see people, I think the best bet is just to aim, on, aim at it and hope. Was it, uh, was it Dave Cousins last year that 
just decided to go for it straight out of the box. Right out of the gate, yeah. shot an eight. It didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a it was a bold move. It was a bold well, move. And I I think that was a couple years ago, and there was another archer who made a comment about it, and Dave turned and said, "Well, I'm up here, and you're down there." Ooh, <laughs> or something like that. And do, do not yeah, mess with Dave. That, yeah, that's. He's, He's too sharp for most folks. <laughs> he's gonna have a, he's gonna have a comeback every time. Okay, so um, arrow size, obviously twenty three. If you're shooting recurve RX seven arrow shafts, have proven themselves to be quite a good advantage for some recurve shooters. Not all, right? You still got to be shooting a reasonable amount of weight to make those. People things need work. to try them though. But they need to try them. Yeah, lots too of many people who go into this thing and they go. I'm only shooting recurve to stay prepared for outdoor season. Like, no, go get good at competing everywhere you go. That will help you more than keeping an X10 on your bow. It actually would help you to focus on what it is you're doing at the time you're doing it. Yeah. To your point. Gets you good at adjusting your bow, working with your bow, understanding the mechanical side of it. And you're now, like, you're all in on competing. Right. You're not just going through it like oh I'm going through the motions here to no cultivate to your tournament Vegas. mindset yeah use it as that opportunity too many people they in recurve they they do that they go they take the season off and still participate you know they go oh, I'm only here for fun like no don't do it for fun do it to win something interesting just came up I was just up. kidding about that by the way no I heard you have some fun but I, I got you but kind of not I, I need to interject here because something just popped up on my on my uh, information feed here and the new world ranking list just came out and guess who's number one in the world in women's recurve? Kang the Destroyer. Casey Koffold. Casey. You know that it's a complicated system they use to figure out the world ranking list, right? So when you when you throw all of the numbers into the blender, Tom Dillon pours out. Number one, Casey Koffel. <laughs> nice. So, congratulations, for Crazy her, Casey. Yeah. That's uh, pretty cool. And then you've got, uh, you know, uh, I, I guess that's a, a testament to her consistency this year. You know, when you look at it, it is. She got in the top eight at World Champs. Um, I don't know what she did into I can't remember that far back, but... With indoor factoring in, she obviously did something there sure. to uh, contribute to the world ranking. 100%. And then, yeah, just probably more consistent at hitting top eight finishes than most of the other girls on that list. Yeah, that's exactly what that shows. So, uh, again, congratulations to her. Okay, on the recurve side uh, or the compound side, your main takeaway, I think the best lesson, what Steve just said, stay in competition mode. Cultivate your mental game. Use indoor as a way to cultivate your mental game because you don't have to deal with the wind. You don't have to deal much with changing light. You don't have to deal with all the other variables that come into play. You have you and a target at 18 meters. All you have to do is work on your mental game. And then when outdoor comes around, it can be much stronger. Well, and it's a great time to demand of yourself that you do everything the same. You shoot every shot as perfectly as you can. You know, if you were to go and a lot of people will do this, and I think we've talked about it on the show before, but they'll go shoot practice, and then at the end they'll shoot one-arrow shoot-offs with their buddies. You know, and I've seen people get to those one-arrow shoot-offs, and they'll dust 10 really good shots in a row, one arrow at a time. Like shoot one arrow, go pull it. Shoot one arrow, go pull it. Talking trash, whatever, making a dollar bet, whatever it is they're doing. But they're making a perfect shot each time. It's like, well, why aren't you doing that when you're shooting the 30 or 60 arrows in qualification, why aren't you approaching each shot the same way? Because they're thinking of their next shot, or they think yeah, they're the shot just they going just through the motion. I'm going to get this one gone. Yeah, you I know, got a high volume to get through. I've always said the same. I, you know, when I was training very seriously, I sometimes, and it's a little bit of punishment, I guess, for letting your mind stray. But I would definitely benefit from the times when I'd shoot that single arrow at 70 meters mm -hmm. and walk down and go get it. Yeah, you realize how good you can shoot each and every shot, right? And then if you keep track, you know, you're, you're using tracking software or just a, a pad of paper to keep track of your, you notice that your groups get tighter when you do it that way. Absolutely. So what does that tell you about what you can do in qualification? Yeah. All right, just to wrap up, uh, the next big event is going to be the Asian Games. And Steve, the Koreans find themselves in a unique position. For the first time in modern archery history, 
they did not get their slots for the Olympic Games, the World Championships. So this is this is their their penultimate opportunity. Penultimate meaning it's this, it's and then the the FQT FQT, which will be what Berlin? No, it's in Antalya. Antalya. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was that's a good place to do an FQT. Depending on the conditions, it's normally pretty pretty reliable there though okay fair enough reliably windy sometimes is the issue I'm getting at. <laughs> I don't know I think when we shot Antalya you would get you would occasionally get some wind but you could almost count on it never being really crazy yeah. like Berlin was reliably the worst conditions all oh time. yeah Berlin was tough this year absolutely tough this year it's tough every time I went there but you know Bellic which is pretty close to Antalya that's that's been yeah in terms of in terms of just if I wanted to go have a shooting match and know that it was going to be fair and decided by the shooters and not the wind, I'd probably I'd go with Antalya or Medellin. Yeah, a Shanghai day be, in Medellin, you could be seeing some big scores. Yeah, if it got rainy, it would be be tough. That's the only thing. Right. Um, Shanghai, that stadium gets a lot of wind swirl. Swirly, yeah. So if you're on one side or the other, your your qualifying score can get screwed. Without a doubt. Yeah, but Antalya can be the same if you're against the trees. You can be really also aided true. by that. So. On the, uh, on the, the, the old field is still there, by the way. and uh, It was supposed to have gone away a while ago, but I, maybe Meta changed everything about archery in Turkey because that field's still there. Is there, are you talking like the one I would have competed on? Yeah. Where were they going to move that? Uh, they were going to get rid of it because of the stadium that they're building next to it. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Put in like a parking lot or something, and they ended up keeping it. So. Move the archery. They did have another field that we would practice on. Oh, yeah. That one's and gone. it was more of a... Well, we had a couple fields we practiced on. They were always multi-use or soccer fields, but maybe they would have moved it there. Anyway, bottom line, Antalya will be a good place for it, but the Koreans do not want to find themselves in a position no, to do that. Don't want to. Asian Games will be not just a big thing for their recurve team, although it's bigger than they were expecting, I think. It'll also be the the big end goal game of their compound team. Yeah. Right? Everything they've been building towards, you know, with... Hiring Rio, Rio and and uh, all that stuff, traveling around more and trying to compete more. Yep. Yep. If they do well, out. it bodes well in general overall for compound in Asia. If they don't do well, it's be, it's going to be because India has just been bringing the fire. Yeah, that's a team that has got obviously some investment in them as well with you know Sergio and Sergio Pani, and just the fact that they've been pretty good for a long time like, yeah I mean who else had more finalists overall as a country in this World Cup yeah right they had two men two women in compound they had a men's recurve so yeah they were leading the way I think yeah and so you know what if anybody's going to be a threat to Korea's supremacy in the compound side but also I think they could be a threat on the recurve side. Yeah, I'd say so as well. I don't know how their women's team has been this year. Not the same as uh, not and the same as it could have been. Heyday, right. They were they were dangerous, very dangerous. Yeah. They're less dangerous now, but you never know what can happen. And the pressure, we'll see how it uh, affects things. So Asian Games coming up soon. Uh, we'll have a preview of that and uh, looking forward to that. Also, we'll be looking for your questions. Uh, because we can't anticipate all your questions and we can make up all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be looking for your questions on the Easton Target Facebook page. Don't forget to leave us a uh, review for the podcast at Apple Podcasts if you happen to use Apple Podcasts because it helps other people find the podcast. You need those reviews. Uh-huh, yeah. Any thoughts before we close it out for this particular show, Steve? I'm trying to think what thoughts I might have. My thoughts are that... Uh, We've got autumn sooner than I expected, once again. Seems like it's like this every time. You know, it's just, before we know it, we're going to be standing in Vegas. Exactly. Trying not to get sick. Neem before that. Yeah, it's going to be... It's all boom, boom, boom. We've got it. We've got a lot of stuff to look forward to, by the way, for the indoor season coming up. We've got the Kings of Archery to kick things off. Then um, you and I, hopefully, uh, if our schedules work out, we'll be in Taiwan. We'll be doing Big trip. hands-on seminars for uh, the people who are going to be at the event, uh, including some opportunity for coaching for Compound and for Recurve. 
Then we've got uh, the whole, you know, indoor World Cup series going on in places besides Taiwan, which is the, you know, one of them. You have the GT in Luxembourg um, and a couple others, and then you got Nîmes, and you got Lancaster, and you got Vegas, and it's going to be on us in no time. So it's a good time to get ready for indoor, folks. Right to it, yeah. We're we're um, about three weeks away from being able to legally post about indoor archery yeah. on social media accounts. Yeah, you have to wait until the solstice, the autumnal I, equinox. Excuse me. I invented the uh, October one rule. I'm gonna toot my own horn on that. We're gonna call it the Anderson rule. And a lot of people, I'm sure. Here's the thing. We were just talking the other day about how two people can have an idea. One may have had it before, but the other one had it with no knowledge of that idea. So they're both original ideas. Um, obviously, only one gets to be the real inventor. But you know, I've been seeing a lot of uh, a lot of talk on the social media about breaking the rule, the October one rule. Uh, Jacob Marlowe's been discussing it a little bit, and he's right about everything he says about it. But um, I know there's people out there grinding already. I know there's people out there who've been shooting indoor and never stopped. It's interesting how here in the States, and it's made this obviously we talked about Colombia and how they don't do indoor. Here in the States, some people don't do outdoor. A lot of people don't. They shoot indoor archery because it's cold and it's something to do. Gets them out of the house on Monday or Tuesday for league at the club. Got to tell you, man, yeah. if I lived in Alabama or Georgia or Mississippi or one of those hot and humid places, maybe they, indoor is all, all I want to do. They primarily only shoot outdoor. I know, but... Ee. Yeah, wouldn't you want to... I don't get it. They should want to shoot indoor only. There's just not a lot of indoor ranges there. Right. So there's a lot of 3D clubs. Right. But um, yeah, you go to Wisconsin or New York or somewhere like that, and there's a ton of ton of archery clubs that you know are going to have a a Vegas or five spot league night and oh you betcha sometimes twice a week yeah but you look at there's there's faces in pro archery that I see that are competitive indoors and then they just completely disappear and they they show up again six months later in November competing once more so it's interesting how that is in the US but different elsewhere well I'll tell you what we'll look forward to uh, some more indoor archery talk next time we are on here and uh for myself, George Techmanchup, Steve Anderson, thanks, sir, for another podcast, man. Oh, this almost sounded like a, an official sign-off. It did, didn't it? Yeah. It That's like, not traditional for us, is it? How can we muddy the water? <laughs> <laughs>